This is the Doc Psychology Podcast with Lynn Bokey, Todd Langston, and Art Ortiz. All right, so- welcome to the Dog Psychology Podcast with Todd, Lynn, and Art. And we decided to bring Sue back because we got a lot of really good feedback having her on. And we thought that it'd be good, have a good little mix uh, having Sue on here and having someone who's a, been involved in rescue and who's been a dog owner and, you know, just kind of understands uh, Lynn's personality, Todd's personality, and we'll learn my personality as well. What do you think, Sue? I'm thrilled to be here. Um, it had a good time last week. We talked about some stuff. We got way more to talk about. So I am just thrilled to be here. Welcome back, Sue. Welcome. All right. So the one thing that I really wanted to talk about that we didn't get a chance to do last week was I wanted to ask you guys like how the best your tips for managing a pushy dog. But to start, I think we really need to make sure we define what is a pushy dog. And I've got one here that's been like a four-year project for me that I guess is I rescue, but now she's my dog. And I I honestly have never been with a dog that pushy before. And she's just never enough, always on me. If you're pet nerds, just never enough. She's If you stop, she's in your lap, then she jumps on you. And um, just thought I'd ask you guys tips for pushy dogs because I like, I, I think I like pushy dogs. I think I get them really often, but this one is top. You do. Maybe you like pushy guys too, huh? That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> always oh, message me with, uh, with pushy dogs. Um, in, in this pushy definition for you, like how does she respond to what you try to get her to do when you try to get her to stop doing something? If you, if you try to, you know, put boundaries on these things, does she just continue and persist? Is persist a good word? She's yeah, she persists. And uh the, the game changer was the e collar. Uh the e collar did wonders for her and for setting boundaries with her. And you know, thanks to you guys, I know how to use it appropriately. And um yeah, it has been a game changer for her and that constant pushy behavior. And then of course all my stuff we talked about last week, which is the structure, the consistency. You know, setting expectations and sticking to them, create and rotate, you know, all that stuff is key for this dog. And I feel like, I mean, she's been a great project for me to practice a lot of things that I hadn't done in a while. And making sure her energy is like when we're walking, her energy is here. Her energy is on me. And like, she's a weird one where if I, if I get a text and I look at my phone, in an instant, she's going to go the other way. She's going to yank against the leash and go the other way. I get off the phone she's right back with me mm. so it's it's been it's been fun cool and challenging all in one which is to me what a pushy dog does to you <laughs> they push you to every limit was she ever aggressive um not uh, she uh she was towards lila but there was a it i i wasn't here and there was an incident where she got out and went after lila's food lila corrected her and then all hell broke loose so I was not here for that. I want to talk about the pushiness, by the way, because like uh, to the everyday owner out there, what is what does that mean to be pushy? Yeah, what's your def- definite or how do you see it, Art? I mean, what's pushy for you? I mean, I, a, a dog that's very forward with certain scenarios. For example, if you've got a dog that likes to rush the door, rush the crate, like certain thresholds, mm-hmm. that's very pushy. Uh, a dog that... Uh, that likes to cross certain boundaries, uh, being in your intimate space uh, is pushy. Um, again, I wouldn't really necessarily... Well, being, uh, lab- 
space isn't pushy. It's the way they're in your intimate space. That, to yeah. me, that makes, you know what I mean? That makes it pushy. It's the uninvited and I'm coming in. And when they come in, they don't come in and bashful about it. You know, they come in tall about it. And they come in and fill the space. Almost like they're just trying to fill the space as opposed to come into your space. Yeah. Do you, do you equate it with aggression? No. Do you equate it with dominance? No. Lynn, Sometimes. Uh, well, you know, I, I think it can be both dominant and uh, aggressive in their pushing. It depends on the, the level of practice that they've had, the, uh, the challenges that they've dealt with, or the basically the perceiver or whoever they're being pushy with, how they dealt with it. If they became confrontational, it can trigger some aggression in their later pushiness. Um, and also if they aren't dominant, it makes them uh, behave and feel more dominant, even though it, they may not be. And that's dangerous. Like this one right this here. This is a good she's question because, I mean, I there have... she goes. Right there. See, that's pushy. I didn't ask for her to get off of me she just jumped on up and she's gonna do it if i don't have my desk all, all the way up she's just gonna keep doing it and i'm just gonna keep doing what i'm doing because she just got here and i'm just gonna push her off without anything but that's pushy right. to me like you were saying todd see look yeah yeah no to just me, so if I, away. If I were to dominant from pushy dom to me I'll, i've always seen it as you're you're born with dominance pushiness can be learned very easily depending on as you know, you were just saying what the other side's doing, you know, yeah. so even a soft dog can become very, very pushy. And then they're going to act as if they're dominant because it seems like they just understand the characteristics of it. And then dominant becomes pushy. So it's this weird little like they're moving in and out of it. I don't think they necessarily correlate because a, a very passive dog can practice the behaviors of pushiness, which to me is what it means to be dominant. Basically, it's the same social kind of construct. And, but as you said, and this is what I'm dealing with is depending on how the person interacts with it, if you become reactive or, or are too rough and, and you don't, you're not bringing the energy down, you're raising it up. It almost always becomes aggression, at least in that case. Like this is what this dog has done is it, is it took something and pushy and quickly made it aggressive, um, through those series of interactions. And well, I think also, like, if you think about it, like, when they start to, like, be. Go ahead, Lynn. Uh, I, I was just saying, the instant we personalize the situation, we immediately dilute our ability to affect change. And in that inability to affect change, the dog changes and gets worse. Uh, so if we get personal, uh, frustrated and do whatever, like when this dog's doing it now, I'm just like sweeping it off, sweeping it off. And it's gone over to sit in another chair thinking it's equal with me instead of trying to get on top. If I can't be on top, I'm equal. <laughs> but I didn't mean to have the confusion there. Art, go ahead. No, I was going to say that I don't think when Todd asks, is, is pushiness aggressive? And I don't think that it is, but it can lead to that because what happens is dogs start to really push. And so let's say they're like being very pushy and, you know, they, they're getting in your intimate space quite a bit and, you know, uh, we we kind of step back, and then hey, now they've taken up that space. What's that? Define in, define intimate space. 
for people listening. Uh, like touching you, you know, it's like they're actually touching you, physically touching you, whether it's they're jumping on you, uh, they're basically in your intimate space. And so once they've caught, crossed that boundary and we, let's say we move back, we keep, we keep giving up that space and almost they, they, they say, wow, this is actually working for me, right? They're either gonna they're either gonna use uh, be physical about being pushy, whether it's you know through touch or even through a bite, because it allows the human to move back and they've actually created that space. And so when I talk, when you said when you asked me, is it aggression? No, but it can lead to that because they they start to see, wow, uh, this is kind of working for me. This is wow, what what more can I do? And so they start being even more pushy, more pushy, and then it leads up to that. That makes sense. Oh, completely. Yeah. Oh, and I think um, talk about taking space because like so this this dog I'm talking about Mango who's over here he's a cute, you know like I said four years I'm real proud of where we've come but one of the challenges is she weighs 78 pounds and I'm not a very big person I weigh 105 pounds so when she wants to take space from me it's every, everything I can do not to take a step back or not to give her space right and when I when she like how Lynn is just calmly like sweeping her off that motion, I wouldn't be able to budge her. It's harder for me. And what I, what I struggle with is I don't want to seem like I'm frustrated, but I have to use a lot of strength to get the 78 pounds dog doing what the, the white dog is doing to Lynn right now. So just maybe address the taking from space and like how you can make sure, even when you're small and the dog's big, how you make sure that you don't let them take space. Well, I want to share a tip that Len shared that to me still resonates, which is learn to physically manipulate a dog during play. Mm -hmm. Advantage of play to learn, like, you know, the essence of almost like the doggy foo, you know, and knowing, I bet if we, I were to play this back and watch it, I can see, right, like, you know, you're, 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 you're hitting certain, you're not just moving, pushing the dog off, it's, it's that you're moving the energy, like, you know what I mean? And so it's, it's, you really want to learn how to, yeah. to, no You're not trying. Yeah. And, and you know, no I, I'll combine it with another tip that actually comes in here from Caesar, which is like you're, when you try to move a boat, you it's the same thing. You can't really force it, but you're, you're moving it. And so regardless if you're using a leash or you're using what Lynn was just using there, you want to understand how the dog's movement is going to work for you and against you first. Because the one thing that people I don't think take into account is a dog has an internal measurement system of what you can and can't pull off in regards to what they're doing. Like they can feel your movement against theirs like right away. And it changes how they interact. So it's not so much about, to me, is like making sure you're getting it right. It's like know how to not fuck up. Know how to not create the comp that, that, the game that, that's going to make the dog strong against you and make them practice more physical repetitions. You know, you're better off if you can, if you can learn to block it's just as good as learning to hit. So it's like learn how to not be moved. If you have a very physical dog, learn how to leverage your body, learn how to get your, your feet or your shoulders. I always I encourage people to learn how to rest elbows on themselves. Learn how to use, like use the, their incoming energy to make them want to move back as opposed to trying to think that you're trying to move them back is I think helpful in a sense that your small stature can have a big ring if you know how to not be pushed around as opposed to trying to get them out. And that is something that, I mean, from the beginning, I always tried to learn. Len? Yeah. So it doesn't matter how big they are. That dog is a biter. And uh, it doesn't matter 
that it's small, it would have grabbed onto your arm. And as you move your arm, it's still there. You bring your arm back, it's still on you. So I've already done part of what it's funny because I'm going to do a post about it, uh, about learning how to control a controlling dog during play. But uh, it doesn't matter how big they are. It, it matters instead of you do need to learn how to block. But instead of blocking, it's more of a parry. It's kind of a parry. So it's coming in instead of blocking, which kind of stops it. It's coming in and you redirect it and it ricochets. So uh, that's a it's a it's tough because I don't want to. <laughs> My whole, and I'm going to be creating another course called Body Mechanics, and that's going to be where you learn every single thing that a body can and can't do. And, and what we know about it, what a dog can't do is a superpower. When they, they don't know what they can and can't do, I mean, they don't know what they can't do. If I know what they can't do, it's a superpower because now I can put myself in situations, positions that I know they can't do anything about and uh then it changes their state of mind uh, they have to switch but uh yes parry that's parry is better than a block in those situations your situation sue is you do need to learn um a leverage body body leverage ground yourself in the earth and be able to move the dog not at its power point right? But at your power point, and that's the core that's connected to the earth, not strength, right? You're trying to push in strength when you, I just move the dog, but you got to kind of have, it's like Kung Fu. You can flip, trip, throw somebody, but only if you're in the correct position to use their weight against them. And uh, that's, that's the only thing I think you're missing is that I think you're trying to push a tree that's rooted into the ground, instead of moving yeah. you know the upper part luckily of the tree she's not doing it that, anymore that um so well that's good that's good what yeah, you, but 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 you're right and there's something there. scary you know the other thing is you bring there's a mindset that comes with being a small person and that dog can feel it feels the mindset you have to let that go you can't sit there and think i'm small she's strong like because the whole thing mm -hmm. gets created <laughs> and i find myself doing that when i'm dealing you know i like the bully breeds and, and i'm dealing with these big strong dogs when, when you, you know you, uh, it's like you can't about, think of yourself that way it's like, <laughs> yeah it's a it's, a, it's how big you believe you are but with the play thing let's make sure that we're not sending the wrong signals. I'm not in there trying to win a play fight. What I, and maybe in my past I was, but now it's more about, I want to teach this dog because it, it turns around at the crate when you go to close it. If you touch it, it doesn't, this is a dog who was found in China with tape all over its head. So I can imagine how stressed out it must be when you're trying to groom it and everything. And I, understand that but there are the pushy parts of this dog <laughs> it doesn't even think about that tape on its face so what i want to do is not be confrontational with the dog i want to i want the dog to follow me and, and understand the authority so when i'm playing with it i'm doing i'm layering in things that i will need to do when it goes to bite me so and and that way it won't feel the need to bite 
because of the way we're playing. And I'm not trying to pin it down and hold it down. I'm just playing with it and it does something inappropriate. I grab it a different way and I end the play momentarily. And then when it doesn't know what to do, I start the play up again. But I'm dictating the rules on how we're playing. And in that, the, that dictation, I'm touching parts of the body that she won't let you touch when she's in that state of mind. And so once she can get past it in play, you know, she puts her mouth on my, on my thumb. I just stop playing. If she bites down, she, you know, gets pushed off. Uh, and then she comes back and then we do it again. And I mean, I'm, I'm manipulating. I got the dog in the air now. I mean, it, it's, it's totally different. If you think about it, last, last point on this, if you think about all social hierarchy and all even predatory sequence, it's, those are hardcore things, but that's developed in play. All of it, they, all the stalking, all the pouncing, all the grabbing, all of the uh, play with authority, you know, this is, they're establishing positions in play as they grow up. And so it's, it makes sense to do that, but just don't try to f win in play with a dog who's possibly going to bite. You'll change their state of mind. And now you're a competition or confrontational with them, but it's a really good thing. I'm glad you, you brought that up, Todd. Yeah. And I think for her, she, I took her, I'll make a long story short. I took her from a home, um, single mom who had to move back in with her own mother to get things straightened out. And she had this pup that was a rescue, which is mango. And when she moved back, the mom had these two ninja chihuahuas <laughs> and this right. mango was a puppy for like five months. These chihuahuas would come out of nowhere and attack her. And that was yeah. her initial engagement with other dogs. And the only engagement, only she had no play. She only had these two chihuahuas attacking her. And everybody was like, oh, well, they're small, so they're not going to hurt her. And they let it happen. And then when I got her at seven months, she was just like scared of any like leaves or anything she thought was like coming out from under the couch. So, you know, she had no good play to your point. So it's, it's, well, see, it's interesting to play part. Those chihuahuas moved that 85 pound dog around nice and easy. <laughs> yes, they did. So, they're like this well, big. Play, I think, play's underutilized. Um, so is so is exploring. I think mm -hmm. just yeah. basics are underutilized. Where I live is tab for dogs. You know, literally being able to walk in the woods every day for a dog that so that this dog lived in a house in a glass crate, and the yard has artificial turf. So think of how artificial the environment is. And now it's in a wood house, walking in the woods on the dirt and, you know, running around and playing in the grass. And it's, it's a, just that shift in environment and the ability to use play. Uh, to your point, one of the differences, and this is, I think this is, I bring this up with my female clients. So you were talking about play, Lynn, and, and in all predators, play teaches chase, it teaches hierarchy, it teaches all that, the social skills, the hunting skills, uh, defense skills. In humans, this is an interesting study on play. And this is why over time, you definitely see there's a difference between with pushy dogs, the way that females and males, uh, the way that dogs interact with females and males. And if you watch the way, or if you read about the study of play in humans, men will fight. So from a very early age, boys will take it to the physical ending and conclusion of fight. And after the fight, they accept, they resolve. Whereas girls, they keep it more verbal. 
and the and the likelihood of a physical clash is much much lower and so it stays verbal so it stays in fight state so it's why it's why you get this toxic element to it because it stays in a fight state there's no resolution it stays that way and as a result of being physical and concluding fight when there's a natural element in the way dogs are going to handle or the way that men are going to handle dogs and boys are going to handle dogs than girls do because they learn how to use their bodies they learn how to interact more physical more physical not just you know through the the feeling of it and that is the hardest thing in my opinion is when you're dealing with really pushy dogs is getting women to be able to know how to do it without becoming um upset in one way shape or form however that would be expressed but that's a challenge so what would you suggest or how do you deal with that sue and this is where I think having males and females as trainers is definitely helpful because a female can explain it differently in the way that they've gone through it than say I can or Lynn or Art. Well, Art, you're kind of like a female, but at least Lynn and I. <laughs> sure. Well, he's the goo in between the crust, so. Um, yeah, no, you raise a good point because I've often said that, and I thought I thought that you know when I was when I was watching you, you guys in the past, and I think for me, you know, last week you were talking about my like insane structure and my consistency. Um, I make up for the the lack of physicalness. I think with that, I manage. And we talked about we were talking about Kali Ma and what I saw Lynn able to achieve with Kali Ma, and one of the big I said that it set my limitations. And that was part of it, the physical part of it. She was a very physical dog. That's why she loved her uncle Lynn so much. And she, um, I just knew I wasn't going to be physical back with her, but I, I set a structure and boundaries with her and never let up. So I kind of made up for it a little bit right. differently. So like with Mango, one thing when Mango would first get off leash, when I first got her, she would run around. Oh, she loved it. Like we take them. I live in the Keys and we took them, take them out to the flats and you can just let them run. And she would come back at me so happy, but she'd come back at like, I'd see her coming, you know, and I'd be like, no. So what I started doing was in order to get attention from me, she had to sit first, no matter how fast she was running. And I did that just consistently, no matter where I went, I would let her off leash. Even if she just ran a little bit, when she came back to me, she had to sit every single time so now she's out chasing birds she's wild she wants to come back and tell me about it she has to sit first so say, i don't know if that was right but no it's absolutely right what you're saying there is part of caesar's exercise discipline affection so while we may be doing something physical with the dog you're doing something psychological with the dog and discipline to me is the most underutilized most misunderstood form of exercise because they're draining energy in their mind. And so you were relentless with focusing on her mind. And she was a female, but very physical with her, with her actions. And you just displaced everything and just did everything psychological. And she's like, hmm. all right. Yeah. So. Yeah. And in the beginning, I used the e-collar to establish it. I mean, you know, for sure. That's and physical. I mean, now... I don't even have to charge it. I just put it on because <laughs> she's a well, lot of times uh, not even charged. Collar wise, it's just a, yeah. That's, yeah. that's an well, association. Good, go into in another episode about tools, but I think that's a perfect use of of a tool in the sense that I think you know you're trying to the tool is used to, to can cross a bridge. You're trying to 
to convey something that you can't convey with the way that you're doing it. And, and that is a, that's a good use of that. And then your persistence, your persistence is a tool. And that, that's the other thing as well, is that persistence will typically win out for the most part, because it will, you know, it will create a good uh, necessities, the mother of invention. You'll come up with the right way. If you're persistent, you just have to know when you need to be changing your ways. So you don't, that persistence is also a weakness where you just keep persisting in the same thing, but it's not working for you. You know, you overly condition the wrong outcome. That's really easy with pushy dogs where you're working way harder than needed because you're reacting. You're not, you're not like you knew this was going to happen. So you proactively approached it as opposed to reacting like shit, here it comes again. And after a dozen of those interactions, the dog's having too much fun with that for you to intervene the right way. You know, so you, you came at this with thought and, and planning, which is a superpower. Um, if let's say you're six foot four and you can just handle the way that dog throws up and tackles you and you could, and you can physically make the dog, oh, no, that's not the right choice. That's, you know what I mean? Everybody's got to use their skill set. And well, finding a balance in between is the best, you know, right? because a six foot guy, four guy that man handles a dog can make them very sensitive around you know, no, I'm just saying they don't have to worry about the what what the outcome of, of a dog running in and being that can be. They can just stand there, let the dog. You know what I'm saying? I'm never taking yeah. it to that, that part. I'm just saying that it's that's not something that then requires so much uh, forethought on their part. How about you, Art? Because you're you're right in between, like size wise. You're just a tiny bit smaller than me. Do you ever find that the size struggle? with bigger or powerful dogs is ever there understanding the way that energy works and the way to move things differently than just that. No, I've always, I've always used angles to help me out, you know, and I think actually, you know, practicing jujitsu has actually helped me out quite a bit too. Um, I thought I would be really good at jujitsu. I suck really bad, <laughs> but just because I understood angles and things like that, but I'm not yeah, that but... good at jujitsu. Yeah, I still go, but um, I think that, that, you know, being able to, really move a dog in a certain way. That's, I'm, honestly, that's kind of what I learned from Lynn, like being able to, uh, to move a dog a certain way by using less force. You know, that's, that's, that's a gift that I think that, um, not that people, you know, there's sometimes where you might need to use some sort of force to, to match the intensity of something. But for a lot of times, uh, you know, it's all about matching the sensitivity of the dog, how to move a dog. So I've never really had any issues, you know, even with big dogs. I mean, you remember that big dog at TCW that tried to bite me, right? Yeah, that was that was a, it. Was a what eighty pound dog? It was a solid dog. Yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes those squatty dogs are more powerful because they got that low center of gravity, and you just can't get a hold of them, and they're already turned around when you think you got them here, and then they they're just tanks, little tanks. Well, you know. Mr. Pickles, so so what you were describing that um, uh, your dog was doing, when I, I got Mr. Pickles, my white uh, American Bulldog mix, the reason I got him is because the lady that had him was about to have a baby. And he, he there was some other things like another dog in the house passed. And he had this thing, like if you just kind of would sit down on a chair real quick or things like that, he would go from seemingly calm so he'd jump up and you'd be wearing him like a hat and he's real agile for his size. So he would just, he would jump on top of you for like sitting down kind of quickly. Now he was also one of those dogs. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about where out in the yard, he would do something and you would turn, and you'd be like, Hey, and all of a sudden 
it turns into this thing. It's not aggressive. It's play, but not really. And and it, then they'll run and they'll charge and they'll kind of throw themselves through the air. Sometimes like at you. Sometimes it's just past you. And it and it would become extremely fast and physical. And he he was really good at teaching you how you had to have a real smooth indifference of a transition from not doing anything to trying to get it under control, like the ability to to do that because anything you did would set him off. And this is where just, you know, simple things like, you know, you just dragging a leash. So it just, you could physically slow him down, but he, he was, you know, for as calm as he is now, he was a good lesson in how to maneuver around dogs that get super amped up at any subtle effort to stop their excitement. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where they just, they, they feed off of your attempt at stopping them so quickly that for the average dog owner that has that it's it's a it's a challenge because they want to use their body in you for different reasons different intentions but once they get that steam rolling <laughs> it can be tricky hey <laughs> tricky somebody's out there being a, a fence pain in the ass dragging a leash i think dragging a leash <clears throat> is under like it's underappreciated. It's such a simple tool that comes like for so many things, not just pushy dogs, but like the dragon leash comes in handy so much. It's like when I was raising the um the the seeing eye dogs, um we they had in the you know in the beginning that you had them on a leash all the time, even when you were in the house, because that's how you teach them to follow you everywhere. Like they want to follow the blind person. So like when you're um you know making dinner you're supposed to tie the leash to something you know keep them right with you all the time like what a simple tool that really works very effectively to get a dog then to stick with the person it's guiding um so yeah i like that you brought up just this, that simple idea uh the most underutilized tool by far especially <laughs> the house it's such a simple tool to to guide dogs so that you it, you know you're moving them more in cooperation you're yeah, it's more clear for the dog. I I think it's super underutilized. It's just something I was gonna say. I forget what it was. Well, that Probably that's a good cool uh, segue to go into. Like, well, what 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 can you do about pushy dogs? And the leash is probably the first thing I always go to, right? So, if you want to slow dogs down through a threshold, use a leash. You want to slow a dog, um, you know, that's good in your personal space, use a leash. You can tether it to something you know a bed so it learns to be in that space and you're at a distance so it's not always pushy so like you said the leashes you know my quote is you want to use the leashes uh you want to le- use the leash to create what you want you want to use as little as possible but as much as you need well i think that you just have to be careful what you really get out of it is go ahead Len. no go ahead you go ahead. Yeah, it, there's a delay, so you go ahead. Oh, I, uh, oh, it's you know fundamentally, I I think the psychology of of a dog being pushy is is they're trying to control movement and space. So if you kind of flip that on them, so to speak, and start manipulating more their movement and space to them, you're playing the same psychological game, uh, but you can just play it better. And a leash is an easy tool for the average person to do that because you, the average person doesn't know how to use their energy to block movement and to to manipulate that. But a leash, I, I think, simplifies it like training wheels. Well, it does, but it's same thing. If they can't do something with a the dog, they're not going to know how to do something with a leash with a dog on the end of it. 
it gets uh, tricky. So that there's a there's an understanding people need to have of their own body and how it works and how it doesn't work, and then understand that your dog the dog has several compartments to it. It's got the head and, and neck. It's got the shoulders. It's got the midsection. It's got the hips. And so they can all move around. And so you can grab their head and they've got their body twisted. And you're like, what? And you loosen just a little bit. Now their whole face is at you. I mean, you got to commit sometimes. You got to understand what, what their commitment. The, the one most committed is the one that wins. So um, if a human doesn't have the commitment level, they, I see it all the time in these dogs that attack and, uh, the people just give up and they just sit there in the concrete and they're just watching their dog being attacked or, or watching their dog attack someone. They just give up. They don't know what to do next. And that's one of the big problems with social media is they just show stuff to do with dogs that generally have work on them or a dog that doesn't have any work on them and somebody doesn't know what they're doing but they they get lucky and then they get successful funny uh, and then everybody starts to try and mimic that and then they get bit and torn up or get another dog hurt and so i don't know where we can get everybody to start over and find one common ground to begin with so that everybody can learn the same thing but it's really more about understanding your own self and your own inabilities and and uh commitment levels so yeah it's yeah, crazy it's you put a dog that has all those compartment levels to move around and then a leash people are trying to play catch up to what the dog is doing and so they're way behind what the dog is doing the dog does this and then they go like that the dog's over so here hold now. On, hold, on, hold on hold on look you jump to extremes dude we're talking about basic shit so you're telling me that if a dog was on a couch and it had a leash on it and a human needed to move a dog that didn't want to move, it would be easier with or without a leash to move that dog off the couch for the average human. You're talking about pulling them off the, le off the couch. That's well, that's different. where you're going. I'm just saying using a leash to get a dog off a couch. If a human walked up, took a leash, turned their back to him and started to walk, do you think that's going to be easier for a human that's struggling moving a dog to get a dog off a couch than going up and putting their hand on the dog anywhere, the collar? Listen, getting listen, you make a great point. I mean, I only deal with the extremes. So you make a great point there. But let me, let me show you. It's the same thing. So the dog is here and the person goes to grab the leash and they start to pull the dog and they keep moving and they leave their arm and they extend their arm their so arm. they don't understand the mechanics is what I'm saying. It doesn't matter if it's an aggressive dog or, or not. They go to move and they leave their arm. They think they're moving the dog, but they're not. They're moving their body and leaving the leash, which makes it an extra three feet. So it can go either way, whether it's an extreme or not. People still need to learn how their body works. But you make a, a phenomenal point well, there. I, I you go to the extremes. I'll take it a step further. I think out of shape people are never going to succeed. So I agree with you. But I have to give the average person more credit and make things more reasonably achievable if I really feel like I want to help people. If I assume it has to be perfect to the perfect nth degree, and I'm assuming that the deal being worked with is the most extreme, I'm left always worried that I'm going to give bad information. Because I understand the nuance that if I say do this, 
that just as quick as I say do this, the dog's going to do seven things that go against what I said. So yep. either we choose to only talk to people in a certain environment, like in a certain way, or we just have to give this a little bit of leeway. And let you know, one of the things I've learned that surprised me the most about doing online appointments is that when given the opportunity and given good sound information that comes with limits and restrictions that says, hey, if you go too far this way or this way, this is what's going to happen. People's creativity surprised me. And the ability for people to solve issues that I didn't think they would solve through their own creativity surprised me. So assuming there's always going to be a mistake in the advice that we give limits it is what I'm saying. And you're, it's, you're never wrong. Understand that you're always explaining things correctly, but from a point that's always the outlier. And I'm always explaining things for more of something centrist so that the average person can take it and use it. And, and so in between that is, is the ranges of this. And yeah, some people out there have some fucked up dogs and they're getting jacked up by their dog. And the simple act of moving their dog from point A to point B, regardless of the way they do it, is going to trigger some shitball reaction. Well, so I also think you guys kind of maybe went down a, a hole there. But so back to use of tools, any tool, even a simple, very small slip leash can be used incorrectly. Any tool can be used incorrectly, right? And it goes back to some of the fundamentals, like what, you, what are you trying to create? What's your energy when you're using the tool? It's just like all these people that say, you're an animal abuser if you use any kind of prong collar or any collar that squeezes their neck. If you use anything other than a vest, a, you know, a harness. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry. Like if you have a dog, like not every dog can use a harness. Like any tool can be used inappropriately, right? Would you all agree with that? Of course. 100%. Yeah. I'm talking so about think... the tools being used ignorantly. That's not the same as inappropriately. Ignorantly causes just as many problems as inappropriate. But I will back up a little bit. I get it. I, I go straight to where the core of the problem is. And I like to work my way out of the maze. I don't like to find the center of the maze. I want to do everything in the deep end and, and uh, do it right. But I feel, and I'm glad you brought this reminder up to me. I just feel like it's not enough information when I, when I have more and better and deeper, I always feel like I'm not giving enough when I just talk about that. And that's my, my issue. I get it. No, I get that. I yeah. teach intro to nutrition to people that don't even know what a carbohydrate is. I went to college for 11 years and I have 20 plus years after that in the field of nutrition. So when I teach the intro freshman class, it's really easy for me to want to give too much, right? I've got 25 years of experience I want to share with this this class, but I can't. I got to break it down and pardon the pun, digestible forms. For, for for the appropriate audience, right? It's Bloom's taxonomy of learning. You got to break it down in, in, into different stages and different levels. And yeah, it can be, that can be the hardest part of trying to teach somebody something well, right I think, there. I think you're correct. Uh, fortunately, you have people that are in a college with have more education coming behind what you're going to just give them a little bit on. In that, what you're saying and what you're saying, Todd, I think we have what what you're saying. We have someone who gives the inner, the, just the information the average person needs. 
all the way to the person who gives the deeper information. I think that's the value of what we have here. Uh, so if I go deep, then I think that this, every time I go deep, you guys go, here we go. Every time you guys go shallow, guess what I'm fucking saying? Fuck, here we go. You know, so it's the same thing. We have the same thing. I just see things really deep. I, I wish, I wish I could just do what you do, Todd, on your Instagram and just give these little nuggets. I, I, I can't. And you can't give the deep, you can, but you don't, because I understand what you're saying. It's just, this is what we have. We have an array of skill sets and depths well, we should take advantage of. The context of, of working with me, if you were to come down and work with me for a few days, you're not going to get Instagram Todd. You know what I mean? You're going to get, uh, you're going to get the, the more, I lean into, I lean into the way that you taught me, which is the absolute mandatory appreciation of the, the fundamentals, right? The most basic part of, of what you're able to build this upon, uh, the ability to read the situation, the ability, like the, the most basic fundamentals and understanding that giving something out of place, what that can do, like teaching somebody something over here when they need to be focused right here. And the fact that people are always reaching and achieving. So absolutely. I just, for, for whatever it was, I kind of, I saw this little, little pieces and I even had to, to teach myself a little bit because when I would start doing it, I would, I would go on rants and I would do these, you know, I wanted all these little pieces of information in between. And when I was able to hear that versus something more simple, I could, I could see the difference in its context. I think too, is the, it, depending on the audience, like you were saying, Sue, you know, who it is that you're looking, who you're teaching, like you're talking about jujitsu art, you know, there's only so much you could be taught based on the way that something like that advances, right? You could watch, watch it all day long and you know, somebody doing certain things that a black belt's doing and you're just, you can't roll like that. It's just not. It, not yet. And so it's a great motivator. I think it's a great goal to always have that, that ready for you. But it, I, I, and I wouldn't even know, Lynn, at this point where you would start with somebody. Like if somebody showed up, the one thing you had with me, for example, is I had nothing. I was green. Think of the advantage of that. We it's don't the get best. That. That's, That's the best. The best. I love it because I, there's no garbage in there. Nothing. I had nothing. I had no obedience. I had no clickers. I had no tools prior to that. I had nothing. I had read a body language book a few times and I walked in as a dog owner with a fucked up dog, you know? And so that, that doesn't exist often because we're having to work through what we've learned. Well, yeah, I, I just see the problems when people don't do the, don't understand the whole thing that come later. And that's, that's just me. Uh, but you're right. I, I did go deep there, but that not make an excuse, but there was literally, I couldn't hear anything you were saying about that. I didn't know if you were talking to me because you kept saying you like <laughs> the whole conversation you had just before I started talking, I had no idea what you were saying. It just, he jumped on me and then we, I'm like, okay, I don't know what that was about. about um, like using, using simple tools to create simple things. And then you started talking about how, you know, the movement can be, they, they can move against you and so forth. I'm like, yeah, but it, you know, what's the, how do you help somebody with that situation? If they need Let to me, I'll tell you what, the, the best way to understand, because it is deep for me, is to understand that the leash is attached to the dog. Sometimes it's attached to the collar, which wraps around the dog. 
which touches fur that comes out of skin that lays over fat that's wrapped around muscle and tendon over bone. So when I grab the leash, I have the bone in my mind. I am that way. And so what I'm saying is if we can get people to understand that part, then there won't be any problem getting the dog off the couch with or without a leash. But understanding what you're doing with the leash and thinking you're doing something with the dog, even if it's trying to get them off the couch, that's a problem. So they're not, there's a big gap. When I grab a leash, I have the bone. I swear to you every single time in my mind, boom, I have control of the entirety of the dog. So when I grab the, the collar, I have the bone. When I grab the flesh, I can think of the bone. I grab the bone. I actually have the bone of the dog. So that's really a, a deeper understanding, but it, it, it's easy once you apply it uh, from that point. I don't when, know. I, when you grab the leash art, what do you picture that you have in your hand? A leash. <laughs> yeah, it, it is the leash. I picture but, the, I have the brain. I know I have the, I mean, that's, that's, so to your point of what you picture, you say you picture bone, I picture brain. Well, I guess I was picturing a dog that wanted to attack or disagree. So uh, I got to get the bone in order to uh, uh, connect to the, the brain. So for me, the closer your hand is to the head of the leash, if you have the leash, if it's not a dog's going to bite, you want to be further up. But the closer your hand is to the head or the bone, the more access you have to the mind. Once you have access to the mind, you have more influence over the mind. When you can influence the mind, you don't have to touch the body at all. So I started the bone with the leash so I can get to the mind quicker. I don't know. I was going to say energy. I feel like it's an energy connector, right? Because you the whole exercise where you hand the leash to different people and the dog acts different. Like, I feel like the leash is your energy connection to the dog and not because not all dogs are are so focused on the human. Sometimes their their energies out there and sometimes the leash can connect them to the energy of the person. Okay. I don't know. Um, no, that makes that's kind of what I that's kind of what I was if thinking. You call yeah. it their, if you want to call it their energy, then they need to learn how to do their energy that is connected to the leash that's connected to the dog, which they still need to understand that it's connected to the bone. So wherever you start, if somebody's energy is all over the place and you touch the leash, then the dog's not going to pay attention. When I, when I say I'm grabbing the bone, my energy says I'm taking over. So when somebody wants their dog not to think they're mean when they're pulling them off the couch, that's what you're calling the energy. They don't have the bone. <laughs> they don't have, they're not going to get control of uh, accessing the mind at all. So it is what you think and feel and what you believe uh, you are doing whenever you touch the leash. Well, if, if you they're think you're gonna... to the bone, can they grab the leg, like grab just the leg bone and just start pulling on the dog? Will that work? Well, when I grab any part of the bone, whether it's the leash or the actual bone, you have to adjust to what that leverage is. So if I grab someone's hair and I just want to pull them, I don't want to pull the hair or cause any pain. I have to adjust to that. So if I grab the bone, it'll be different uh, weight or temperature than just the end of the leash because I have the solid part of the dog. So just like when you go to clip their nails and they're pulling away, you don't, you don't hold and keep them there the way you would a leash because you could rip out a shoulder if you're not careful. So you have to kind of be flexible, kind of 
uh, bungee with it, if they grab, if you grab their leg and they're pulling it, I'm not holding it so that they hurt themselves. I'm holding it and I'm like at that spring in between. You can only go that far and then it comes back. But with a leash, it's wider, different, it's different because you're less uh, intense or uh, solid. I don't know. Sometimes I can make that leash look and feel like a broomstick, solid. Then it's other times it's a noodle. And then other times it doesn't even exist. We're gonna, even if I'm holding it and they're wearing it, they don't even know it's there. So that comes back to what Sue's saying is what your energy or what I am saying, what you believe you're doing. So I, down another rabbit hole. There's lots of rabbits here if you guys want to. <laughs> not untrue. Um, it, you, no you rabbits here. Not here, there's not. No. I mean, you guys have seen me work the leash. It's surgical sometimes, you know? It, well, you know, I've always content, you know, I told everybody last week about my aha moment with you, with the Wolf Hobbits and all that stuff. You have an innate ability that you are never going to be able to get into a lesson. I mean, you you do. There are certain. It's me. just like how you look at um, you know, you look at certain athletes that that like you realize, hey, I might be able to go out and play football, but I'm never playing football like that person or whatever. Yeah. Or I like to do aerial arts, but I'm never doing it like somebody in Cirque du Soleil, right? They just have an innate ability, whatever. You have an innate ability, Lynn, and not everybody can imitate that. And I realize that I I do not have that. Um, but I, that doesn't mean I couldn't learn from you, but I had to do a certain level of interpretation from your innate skill set in order to come up with what could work for me. And back and so then I it think was that more that's... difficult for me to ex explain my innate abilities. Now I've translated them all into a, a workbook sort of thing. And then you have to work your way up to an ability. Uh, from there, but yeah, right. It's... Yeah. You have that ability. You have that ability that. You, you know, there's no, and then you also have, of course, years of training in martial arts and stuff like that, that allows you to move the way you do, um, which, you know, art has as well, I don't have. And so, um, yeah, I think there's a certain innate skill. So it's like taking the teachings and trying to make them your own as best you can is a really important part of it, whether we're talking about pushy dogs or whatever, when it comes to this, that's why it's good that we have like, you know, so many, like you said, so many different approaches here. Well, it's all the same approach. It's just different. I guess it's different approach. We are all from the same camp, basically, but it's just uh, how we do it. Like same you can see, philosophy. Yes. Yeah. Like with yeah. art, you know, see how quiet he is right now. He's just that that guy. He's his magic is to bring people together, and uh, in the way he approaches the same philosophy is different than the way Todd does, and different the way I do. But it is the same philosophy so i also got some stomach pain going on right now i have no idea what's going on so uh-oh well yeah. i know i want art to talk more because i want to learn more about arts philosophy too <clears throat> so that's going to be my goal next time i'm going to see what i can do to make art talk he's the man in the middle that's art if you don't yeah. never forget it he'll remember everything you ever say everything everything and he can hear you around the corner and in the bathroom with the door closed and he's got what yeah you don't really want to tell him too much. You tell him just stuff. <laughs> Art, were you a bartender? Have you ever been a bartender? Never been in the service industry, but I will say also, like, I have this weird ability to remember students that have gone to TCW and almost remember the year and months that they came. I don't know how or why. I just remember. 
and you remember that, but you remember things about them. You remember the aspects of their lives. That's the magic of him is being able to connect and bring people together because he remembers things about people. I knew this guy one time and he uh, ran a club. It wasn't his bar, but he ran a club type thing. And he would introduce you. He'd take you around and he'd introduce you first name, last name, what they do for a living, who they're married to and everything. Like you just wanted to bone this guy, whether you, whoever you were. I mean, he was attractive. He knew everybody and everything about it. He was so no, smooth. No, you don't, because then he's going to remember you. <laughs> right. But I uh, thought that was amazing. And that's really great art that you can pick out things about people and retain that. And then that's who they are to you. And you can make someone else feel who they are that's never met them. How long did it take Caesar to remember your name, Art? Not that long, actually, because I, I early on, I spent a lot of time with him because we did oh. TCW and then I, he did the live show, the tour in Texas. So it was back to back to back. So I was, oh. I mean, something different when you get in the when you get him out of that certain context. Yeah. yeah. He remembered me quite a bit. I remember, so I got featured in his magazine, Caesar's, Caesar's Way magazine way back in the day. And it was talking about my experience at TCW. Uh, and I remember I'd gone back to, to the DPC, I think that December of that same year, he goes, Hey Art, uh, you, you, did you see, they, they put you in my magazine? I'm like, yeah. And he remembered that. I was like, wow. But I do remember he, he always remembers things like, Oh, the, the German shepherd mom, the lady with the yep. German shepherd. That's how he remembers things. Where you're yeah. from, something, something random about you, but definitely yeah. not the name. No. I can't human names are almost impossible for me. So when I, whenever I used to hang out with people, I'm like, okay, here comes somebody. Just act like I'm rude and say, I'm sorry, I'm Lynn. He's he's so rude. He never introduces so they have to say their name. That was always, okay, here comes somebody. They know me, just pretend like a, and then I would get their name that way, but then I would lose it. It's, uh, uh, it's my, it is not a skill set that I have honed or worked on. I'm, I'm not good at remembering names. It's uh, But it, it shows a carelessness socially. It's like, it's a bad habit. It shows a care. It's like a social carelessness and people, their name is important. It makes and, them feel good when they hear their name in front of other people. And well, yeah, it, it, tell you, he, I feel good when somebody I met a while ago is like, Hey Todd, man, good to see you. And like, no, your name, you're like, shit. And you're like, what's up, bro. <laughs> like, Damn it. <laughs> you don't know. Their yeah. Oh, that, oh yeah. Oh, that'd be the worst <laughs> again, man. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. All right. So here we are. The bunch of pushy dogs. Yep. <laughs> well, it's good. It's Telling us how to deal with pushy dogs. And uh, thank you guys. I think, um, y you know, we had some good, like, tips, some good things. But it goes back to a lot of what we talked about last week, too, I think. Right? It's the consistency. It's the structure. It's like meaning what you say, saying what you mean, like, you know, it's, it's, it's the, you set those basics and then, um, some of the things we talked about here today and I apparently have to, you know, go start taking martial arts. So I'm taking that home with me today here too. Cause you're not, that's not the first time I've gotten that message. Well, I would do something specific with leverage, whether it's grappling, wrestling, jujitsu, judo, maybe, cause you can throw, I wouldn't go and do kickboxing or anything like that. That's you want to do something that's specifically 
geared around leverage and understanding the body you're working with and anticipating what they're going to do. So if you're going to do it. Yeah, absolutely. A Qigong for a leash workshop. So we brought in like, you know, the, you know, movement meditation to a, who did that? We did a leash workshop with Caesar a few years back. And one of the things we added to it was like a Tai Chi element, like a, 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 a movement element to it. So somebody was teaching different elements of that. So to the same thing of, you know, the importance of being able to move properly, understand your body, the flow, fluidity of yourself. Yeah, everything and, I do with my leash is Kung Fu. And I think if you look at everybody, if you lined up a hundred good people that were really good with dogs, you're going to see they all have a physical element to themselves. They're all sound of body. They have a, a coordination. They're, 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 mind and body follow each other you know the the tail follows the dog so many people are are uncoordinated to a point where the dogs are like no fuck you (laughs) dude you have no idea your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand is doing out you know Mm -hmm. you know if i to wrap this up i think one of the things to your point you just said sue is if if you can't right now define what your dog can and can't do in your home you're not going to be able to make any changes, right? So if you can't be in your own mind clear on what your dog's rules, boundaries, limitations, right, wrong, however you want to define it in your mind, if you couldn't quickly put it down on paper, that means it doesn't exist. And if it doesn't exist in your mind, it can't exist in your home. It can't exist in reality. I don't care what you're trying to accomplish. It's that ability to say, this is what it's supposed to be like. And then from there, all of our different points of views or tools or all these things can come into play. But that doesn't exist. Nothing exists. If and you, that's what if, it's going to be tomorrow. And that's what it's going to be next week. It does not like, well, today I, I think we'll let him on the bed, but tomorrow, no. Or we're going to do this today and not that tomorrow. And, and if you don't, yeah. if you don't know what you want, you can't have it. There you so, go. Lynn sticker. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, nice having you here, guys. We're pushy dogs. And good we will see you next week. Good to see you guys. Hi, have a good one, guys. Thank you. See you.